What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Stallion, I, I've told you plenty of funny college stories, but I, I want to hear what was your your best job or maybe most interesting job that you had in college? Because today's guest, by the way, first set this up, why I'm asking Stallion this, today's guest learned about how to flip land. She has now done over 300 properties, still in her early 20s, but she learned about it as a college senior. So I, I'm not going to give you why it was interesting for her to figure this out, but I, I do think that there's, we all have things that we did when we were either in high school or coming out of high school or in college. And it led us to saying, I never want to do that again. Stallion, what was the job that you remember most that probably was not necessarily the best use of your talents? Well, I'll say this, as you mentioned, I had a lot of different jobs and I enjoyed most of them, but the one that sticks out to me that kind of was that, that linchpin that said, Joey, you got to get out of the fast food industry. Okay. <laughs> Goodness, yes. The fast food industry is not for you. You're slow and you don't like the smell of chili dogs or root beer. I was at A&W root beer. Get figured this, figure this out. I'm sitting there. I'm dressed to the, to the nines. What I mean by nines, I got the A&W root beer polo. I got the black, you know, you know, cardboard pants on feels like <laughs> I got the tool belt on that has the little change purse with the little, you know, oh, yeah. click it down. It's like, ching, 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 ching. And the, the coins come out the bottom and I got the roller skates. You topped it off with the roller skates, the roller skates and the visor. Okay. And I'm, I'm haphazardly getting to your car with sometimes gallons of root beer and chili dogs hanging off the side and french fries just the smell of oil oh all my what, clothes at the end of the day what is the what does the job dogs. interview look like for the anw like are you guys doing like races around the parking lot are you guys couple skating the guy who can like <laughs> skate backwards is a shoe in like what is the criteria to get this job man shockingly skating was never brought into the interview <laughs> Okay. They threw that what on you was, later. What was brought into the interview is can you get to work on your own? Can you drive here? Like, the, do you have a DUI? Do you like, can you, do you have a record? Those are the main questions I had to get by. But yeah, they didn't ask me about skating. They just said, hey, by the way, if you want better tips, they get, they, you know, usually they give better tips to skaters. So, you know me, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go skate. You, you had to go there. Well, it, speaking of job interviews, so one of the jobs that absolutely was a defining point in my life that said, you're not meant for manual labor, you're going to have to somehow use your brain, 
or your good looks, which you are short on both. <laughs> but manual labor is definitely not in the cards for you. I, I show up to a job interview for a company that was a landscaping company called the Garden of Eden. Right? Oh, perfect. I, I, I show up to a restaurant that the guy's already gone through the line and is sitting at the table. And I'm like, piss. I thought he was buying. I write a check for a $4 sub sandwich that ultimately ended up bouncing. <laughs> That went to the attorney general's office. I paid $175, you know, fine, plus the overdraft fees and everything else to get a job that I'd have to wake up at 6 a.m. That's after going to sleep at 5.30 a.m. to go to work there for six hours, get off at lunchtime, come home, eat, fall asleep, skip all three classes I have that afternoon and start over again. So... That <laughs> that has nothing to do with today's podcast, other than, as you can tell, Joey on roller skates and me, manual labor is not what we wanted to do in college. And our guest today was working in a summer internship, and as she tells it, was listening to what other people who were working full time were saying about their life. And she thought, maybe I should start looking into other ways to create passive income streams. It's super inspiring. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. Let's jump in right now with Michaela Sorney. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe. Today we have a new investor, somebody that is starting at a very young age to, to inspire each of you to financial freedom. Join us today is Michaela Sorney. Michaela, thank you for being here. Hi, guys. How are you? Oh, man. Fantastic. Grateful to have you. I've been eager to have you on the podcast to be interesting, to be uh, exact. We've been talking about this interview in our circles for the last probably two months. I don't know why it took Joey so long to make this happen, but <laughs> grateful to finally have it. I want to take you back to a moment. You were driving in the car. I believe on your way to an internship and this podcast that you've been introduced to came on the radio and it wasn't Wealth Without Wall Street, guys. I, I'm not, this is not a plug for us, but this podcast came on and it got you super interested in something very unique. Would you take us to that moment? Sure. So uh, I was, like you said, I was driving to an internship. I was in college and uh, I was hearing about land investing. Uh, never heard about that before. And I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I was going into my senior year of college, um, had, you know, knew what I was kind of wanting to do. I was an engineer going to school for that, but uh, hearing it that it's fairly cheap considering other types of real estate investing, fairly cheap to get into, seems fairly simple. Um, I live in New Jersey and, you know, from what everyone was saying on the podcast, you could do this anywhere. So I didn't need to be around the property. So that was good. Uh, kind of like a pro in my mind. I listened to a lot of other like residential, you know, real estate podcasts. They talked about depreciation. So my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you know, you don't get the depreciation. 
Um, that was probably the only negative that I could come up with because it was just pure land. Um, so in that moment, I'm just thinking of, you know, why not just give it a try? I mean, I, I hear these people and I, I figured I'll join the Facebook groups and stuff. Uh, and they were buying properties for a couple hundred bucks. So I was just kind of, you know, thinking, let me just try something. I wanted to do, you know, real estate for a while and just wanted to take the dive into it. Okay. So wait, 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 Russ, I have to jump in before you get going. How many people do you know in their going into their senior year that listen to all sorts of real estate podcasts or, or thought processes and they're like, yeah, I really want to get into real estate and going into their senior year. Like, does that, did you ever hang out with people like that? Me? Yeah. You No, heck no. I didn't, man, we were trying to figure out how to get a 12 pack for $5 or under. It was, had nothing to do with (laughs) investing. That was the, that was the investments I was making, you know? (laughs) So Michaela, thankfully you weren't hanging out with people like me or Joey, by the way. I didn't even know how to spell real estate in no. college. So, but why, why was that interesting? I, I'm just trying to figure out, like, was there something, like, were, was your family just entrepreneurs and they kind of, like, led you into this mindset? Where did that start? Um, so, I was always kind of interested in real estate, but I think most people, you know, you see the flipping shows on HDTV and you're like, you see the before and after pictures and that peaks something in your, in your mind. And you're like, that looks really cool. You see, you know, they made a hundred thousand dollars on a property. You know, you don't necessarily see or realize the investment they put into it to make that a hundred thousand, but they show big numbers and nice pictures. Uh, so I was kind of interested in that. It seemed cool to me. Um, that was kind of the the start of the real estate. Um, my parents, I mean, they, you know, did some renovations on their house. Nothing like we weren't, they weren't flipping houses or anything. Um, then I guess, so I started in the podcast with like typical like turnkey, then it was multifamily. And I felt like they were just getting further and further away from something that I could actually start because they were more expensive, like syndications and everything like that. So when I think when I finally got back to the land investing, I was very excited because it was like, Hey, I could take action on this today maybe build that up. And at the time I still wanted to, Oh, maybe I'll flip houses, something like that. But it was an action that I could take that day. And then hopefully, you know, take a step forward rather than just keep waiting, you know, saying, Oh, I'll work full time and then I'll wait. And maybe one day I'll save up enough money to invest. Like I could do that that day. So finally an example where HGTV helps someone else, right? Like it, it inspired you to get interested into real estate. And ultimately you found a niche that, it where you were. I mean, there's so many of us that can relate to, I don't have large money. It doesn't matter where you are in life. I mean, obviously as a college student, not having access to large amounts of money is normal, but even for people in their thirties, forties, and fifties, they don't have access to a large amount of money because they've tied it up in places like 401ks and home equity and other areas that they can't get to. So they too are like, well, those shows, those things don't make sense to me because I couldn't take action on that. I would love to to take you back to where you, what did you do? So you heard the podcast, obviously you listened to several episodes, but what was the first action step you took? So I think the first one was basically just looking at the different websites of different, you know, quote unquote, like land investor, you know, people who taught land investing. So I looked at the different websites and the real, I consider the first real actionable item was for the, the land geek. I scheduled a free call. I was like, it's a free call. What am I going to lose? Let me just ask some questions. 
I did my research before that because I think if you go into those, they can be helpful if you know nothing and you're, you know, maybe want to see the pricing of a package or something. But I wanted to, again, take action and make it useful. Um, so I did my research on, I joined Facebook groups, looked at, uh, like you said, listened to a ton of episodes, kind of had an idea, maybe some places I wanted to mail to, maybe some places that I could afford to buy property and, and do business in. I uh, went on the free call and uh, Mike Zeno actually talked to me on the call. So, so helpful. Um, he answered questions that I think you'd be shocked that they give this away on a free call. Um, so he helped me a lot kind of get started. Um, so yeah, doing that, that call was first. And then I think before I really you know, overanalyzed it and, and overthought it and started to get, you know, analysis process, I just started mailing. Um it started mailing and when the responses came back, it just started. I, I want to, uh, before you jump ahead, because you just gave a nugget there, they actually answered questions that you would be surprised they give away for free. G- give us a taste of what that is, because I think sometimes we're too scared to get on a phone call because we're like, oh, we're going to get sold something. I don't want to be on that call. Right. So yeah. what were some of those questions that you had that they were answering that were so great that you were like, wow, I should have paid for that. Yeah, I think the first one uh, or, or the first one that comes to mind was pricing. So I, I knew kind of what areas, um, but Mike actually let me know what he was pricing and what the average you know, investor was pricing in that area. So that took away, I think, one of the biggest hurdles for investors at the beginning is when you're thinking, okay, I'm going to, even if it's 100 letters, I've never done this before. I have no idea what to price it. I don't know what I'm going to sell it as. I don't even kind of know where to start. So I just knew it was $100 for a half acre at the time. It's really rural county in the Southwest. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. You know, Mike said, you can get 100, you know, 100 bucks. It's on the lower end. Um, so that was number one. Number two was the actual county. Um, so kind of explain my situation and then you know, Mike, hey, this is a good county. You can get land cheap here and, and flip it cheap and might be a good place to start. So I'd say arguably two of the biggest hurdles for people at the beginning, like like I said, was answered on a free call. And I think it's, I, I came to it kind of like knowing a background. I wasn't just like, hey, I want to invest in land. What should I do? They were pointed questions. And I think that helped. So, but let me be clear. You didn't learn all that stuff through having bought a course before. This was just your very first step. So you just had listened to these things and said, I'm going to pr- pursue this this way, ask them a couple of questions. And then you got started even without like the toolkit or flight school or any of those things. Yeah, so all the background knowledge was just from like all the podcasts. I listened to so many of the episodes, uh, read about it. I got started, um, I believe I sent the letters before, yes, before I even bought the toolkit. See, that's amazing to me because I think, and just to also talk about the fact of that being a free call, you would assume that you would have to have bought something for them to give you any sort of direction in this world, but that wasn't the case in your experience. So that's amazing to me. Um, What did you do next? After you just kind of took that shot in the dark and started sending out letters, what was the next step? Yep. So the next step was, it was quickly after, um, but I did buy the toolkit. And at the time, I think there was kind of a shift where some people still bought the toolkit, but most, I think, were just jumping into flight school. Uh, but I was like, hey, let me just try the toolkit. At the time, I, I had the time to work on this, I guess, as other like you know professionals. Uh, they don't necessarily have the time, but they may have the money. I was the opposite. I had the time and not necessarily the money. So I was like, let me just try 
um, this toolkit. Uh, so I tried the toolkit. I had actually bought a couple of properties from it, which I've heard after is very rare and not many people do. So I bought a couple of properties through that. Um, I actually sold my first property on eBay, which was also very rare at the time. Um, so that was just a quick sale and kind of just like a proof of concept. And I was shocked, honestly, when it happened. Um, I don't tell them that was the only property I've ever sold on eBay, but you know, I saw it in the toolkit and at the time I was like, okay, I'll try it. So the next step was the toolkit. I did that for a little while, uh, a few months later than I did uh, flight school with the land geek as well. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you gotta go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. All right, so you're you're going through this process. You're still, you're taking money from your summer internship to use it to, to send out <laughs> mailers. You're actually getting responses. You're buying properties and turning around and selling them, which yes, is unique for a lot of people because one, they just don't take any of those steps, right? They're just not willing or they have to get all the information, which I think is super unique because your background is training to be an engineer, right? And uh, mm -hmm. obviously many of us know engineers and they're they're not necessarily risk takers. They're not someone who's willing to go and do something that haven't necessarily been tried and true that they can use their past experience to help them. What gave you the confidence that you could do that? I think uh, you might laugh at this, but I think it was just like ignorance is bliss. I didn't really know what it involved. Um, I was kind of just like, hey, I mean, I've listened to, you know, Mark feels like my best friend listening to him on this podcast hours and hours and hours and all of the all the guys at the Lane Geek. Um, and I'm like, well, it works. And then I joined the Facebook groups and I was, you know, seeing people on the Facebook groups that were saying it worked. And I think I was just so uh, I was itching to just make a move and, and just do something in hopes of, you know, getting that financial freedom. So I think I just, yeah, ignorance is bliss. I didn't overthink it. Well, you say financial freedom, which is unique for someone that's still in college or, or about to get out, right? Because I, Joey and I used to be asked all the time to come speak to the medical schools, to the dental schools. And what I recognize a lot of times when we were up there sharing the message of financial freedom, it was usually like just kind of shoved to the side because they were so eager to go do the job that they had been going to school and being trained to do. But yet for you, for some reason, you had this eagerness to learn how to do something completely different than necessarily your training. Was there something specific that was doing that? I think just the fact that I, mean, I interned for, I interned like a couple years and each time I was like maybe six months. So I'd say longer than just the average, you know, 10 week summer internship. So I feel like I was in the office more than maybe most college seniors at that point in their life. Um, and actually one of my coworkers, this was one of the things, there was a couple, but one of my coworkers uh, jokingly said, yeah, I'm around my, you know, I'm around you guys, my coworkers more than my family. 
And they were all laughing about that as if that was, you know, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, same, you know, played it off like it was no big deal. And I was like horrified. Um, but it, I guess it's true if you think of how many hours you spend there. So that was one of the things. And I think just um, I, I, I like my job back then. I like it now. But, you know, some days I don't want to have to join a call at a certain time. Like the fact that just the idea that you don't have to be tied down to certain times, certain locations is very, very appealing to me. And the fact that um, I think I don't forget where I heard this, if it was in a, a podcast or just, you know, read it somewhere. But um, I've experienced this working, you know, in my full time job for a few years now, every, you know, year or six months, maybe you're up for a promotion. But in your own business, you're up for a promotion whenever you want to be, essentially, you know, you want to make more money, go buy another property and sell it. Now you just increased your passive income. So I think that also is very appealing. Oh, no doubt. I mean, the wisdom for you to be able to to hone in and hear a coworker say that and then say, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with what I'm signing up for. Like, I didn't want to, that, that doesn't make sense to me. That's amazing. Talk about your friendships at that time. Like you're in the middle of about to graduate and you've got friends and you tell them, hey, yeah, I'm doing this little thing on the side and buying land out in the middle of nowhere and selling it to people on terms. Did they have any like place for that in their brain? Like how did, how did they respond? Uh, no, I probably would say did not have a place for that in their brain. It's like, you know, if you say real estate, okay, everyone kind of gets it. But then if you hone into land investing, everyone's like, what are you talking about? Um, so, uh, I, you know, my friends know now definitely, but back then I think if I said, you know, when I would tell them, they're just like, that's a little weird. Like, okay, I guess I, I won't ask any more questions. That sounds like it possibly could be a scam or something, or like, I just don't know what to make of that. Um, at the time as it grows. And, and even uh, with my family, like I didn't tell them, uh, my parents, for example, until I sold the property because I wanted to be able to say like, hey, proof of concept, this actually works. Um, otherwise, they definitely would have thought it was a big scam. And they're like, who's taking, you know, my daughter's money. But yeah, just very confusing for them, I'll say. <laughs> All right. Obviously, just being ramped up, right? Having the knowledge of how to do it is always an obstacle. But once you started rapidly learning, uh, clearly you're a very smart individual and you're you're willing to take action on the things that you find interesting. But what was some of the big obstacles early on for you as you were ramping this business up that would be helpful to someone else maybe in similar shoes? I think some of my biggest obstacles, number one was uh, capital at the beginning. Um, it's hard to kind of snowball it starting from very small. So I'd say capital at the beginning. Since then, I've tried a bunch of different things. I've you know sold portions of my notes, taken on uh, loans. I haven't done any profit split just because I just think the profit's too good to split that. I'd rather take a, you know, take a loan and, and pay like an interest rate, but I've tried different things. Um, at the beginning, I kind of just wanted to keep it as simple as possible. Um, so that's why I just, uh, you know, use my own money. I would wholesale properties a lot, but I would say as a piece of advice, if you're in the same boat, maybe you don't want to take on debt or, you know, sell portions of your note, you kind of want to keep it simple. Wholesaling is definitely still a good option in, in my mind. Uh, I made a lot of money from it, uh, snowballed it into buying a ton of property. Uh, at this point, I don't do it because I can also sell them. But back then, I also didn't really have the, the sales team and didn't have the marketing team. So I, it was hard to sell them uh, to an end customer. And then, you know, if you sell them on terms, as everyone knows, it takes time to get your money back. So I'd say 
uh, piece of advice is maybe try wholesaling at the beginning. Um, another and thing that was hard. Hold on, before you go on, just just so everybody's clear, uh, what what does wholesaling mean? Just if somebody, this is the first time they've heard us talk about land flipping per se. Yeah. So what I would do is I would uh, offer send the offer letters to the owners, just as, as everyone else does when I would buy that. Instead of trying to market it and maybe sell it for terms to like an end customer who, for example, wants to build on it, I would just sell it to another land investor. Uh, the rule back then, at least, and I'm not sure if that's the case now, because like I said, I don't sell wholesale anymore. But back then, it was like the investor you're selling to should be able to, uh, you know, double or triple their money depending on if they sell it on uh, terms or cash. So you leave a little bit of meat on the bone for that as well. You get quick cash. Usually they can be like repeat customers as well. But you also said something in there that I want to reach back to, which is I don't do profit splits because the profit is too good to split. For those who don't understand land flipping, what is the profit? Um, it could be thousands of percent in infinite return for example uh sometimes i would even go on to say a decent amount of times i'll i'll pre-sell a property for say for example for cash so i'll buy it for just example purposes maybe five thousand sell it have it pre-sold for maybe seven thousand or ten thousand cash um and at that point it's it's infinite uh it depends on obviously the terms but it's pretty incredible pre-sell it how do how do you pre-sell land so I like to do that with my repeat customers because we have that, you know, connection and that relationship. There's trust there. Uh, I don't necessarily do it for new customers uh, usually just because, you know, the last thing I want is to have a deal and then they go and they look at the county and it's not in my LLC yet, even though, you know, it's because I'm closing on it. So it's usually for like repeat customers who I trust them. They trust me. And they said, you know, Hey, can you let me know? Or I'll, I'll say, Hey, I have this property coming up is, in a certain area, similar to your other property, or it's, you know, similar in price, for example, and they'll just say, okay, you know, I want it. They'll do their due diligence and usually they'll wire me first as I'm closed. And then I just kind of keep the difference. And that's where the, uh, the returns incredible. This, this is genius, by the way. And here's another thing I want to ask the question. I think somebody may be trying to figure out why do people buy multiple pieces of property, right? Like most of the time in our minds, we think of, I want to buy a piece of property so I can build my home on it, maybe a farm on it, maybe a place to go hunting. But I don't usually have multiple places like that. Why are people buying multiple properties? So my customers that do that, and, and I'll note that these are residential. So like you said, maybe someone wants multiple hunting properties or places to camp. These are purely residential. Like you cannot camp on them. You can't do anything. You're supposed to just build on them. Uh, so the customers that have bought these are uh, usually just like they don't trust the stock market. They want a hard asset. A couple of them are uh, like Canadian or in different countries, and they just are fascinated and think that the American like real estate market's uh, an amazing thing to invest in. That's what I find that most of the people, uh, repeat customers, are buying so, for. So would you say, Michaela, not to put words in your mouth, but they're looking for wealth without Wall Street, <laughs> would you say? You know, that's the perfect way to, I don't know why I didn't think about that. <laughs> so give us some context. Yeah, you sold some properties. Like how many properties and how long of a time frame? So I started the end of, or summer, I guess, of 2018 was when I started listening to the podcast and everything. Um, so since then, I've sold uh, hundreds, um, hundreds and hundreds of properties. Uh, 
obviously with the real estate market last year, most uh, were cash last year, which was great. And now I'm seeing more terms again to kind of give you a little perspective. And which one do you have a preference? Do you like selling for cash? Do you prefer people to pay on terms? Every every land investor we talk to has a different niche of what they're interested in for you. Do you care? Um, yeah, I, I don't care too much. I do obviously like a mix. Um, it is great when the cash comes in, but then it's amazing, you know, a couple months when 10,000 comes in passive income. Like, so I, I like a, a good mix. What has been some of the new things that you've been trying in your land flipping business? Sure. So uh, since last year in the market, obviously, uh, you know, grew a lot. Prices went up a lot. I tried to, I'm trying to kind of channel and, and reach out to a different type of clientele, not necessarily the clientele that wants to buy for a hundred dollars down and a hundred a month. Uh, they're, my properties are, are more expensive than that now uh, by far. So what I do is now each property, I'll get professional photography and, uh, and they put together a professional uh, drone video. So in that drone video, it's obviously video of the property. And then they, you know, put like little marketing, like bullet points, essentially describing the property. So I get that done on each one. Uh, and I also list each one on the MLS now. So the new kind of marketing, uh, you know, flow, what I'm doing now is I get the property, I get, I get the photographs. Uh, I list on my website as well, which I didn't do at the beginning. Uh, but now I'm listing everything on my website. Uh, I list it on the MLS. I list it on uh, the land networks. So uh, like Lands of America, those websites, uh, land flip. But I'd say MLS is probably the biggest uh, the biggest difference. And it's something that I don't think many land investors do. And, and what has been the value of doing that? Have you seen some meaningful profit and going more higher in, more professional photos, putting them on a professional real estate type site like that? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, the, it, you know, listing on, on Facebook also had a lot of, uh, you know, accounts flag on Facebook and stuff like that recently. And other investors that I talked to did as well. So I think that was one of the reasons why I was like, we need a different, you know, avenue for these leads and leads are completely different. And Facebook, you can go through, you know, hundred, hundred or plus tire kickers who just say, is this available? You know, and then you never hear back from them. But these from the MLS, I would even say from like the, the land network are very, very good leads, uh, high percentage convert. And I'd say a higher, way higher percentage also are interested in purchasing with cash rather than financing. That's awesome. I love how you're you're constantly innovating to try to, to make this a true business that continues to grow for you. How do you see the future from here? Like, obviously, you're still employed. You love your job. And you have this great side business. What do you what do you see as like the the future of this? Ultimately, I do want the financial freedom, which you know started this whole thing a couple of years ago. But um, I, that's what so that's what I see in the future. I haven't mostly hired out the the business, so at this point, it's just scaling. I actually uh, I went on a like a two three week vacation uh, in Europe a couple of weeks ago. So it was very interesting to see like where the bottlenecks were, where I'm actually needed. Uh, so that was really insightful. So just working on some of those bottlenecks um, and in the future to keep expanding. Um, and yeah, the, the financial freedom to be able to live off the passive income. Man, Wealth Wall Street Tribe, did you hear what she just said? She just got back from a two to three week trip in Europe and she was spending time there thinking about a business that is paying for the whole thing and how she can enhance that. 
Like if that doesn't inspire you, if this doesn't say, hey, Michaela has showed a path, it just takes grit. It doesn't take tons and tons of money, but it takes action. Michaela, I've been waiting in the, for this podcast for so long and you delivered, you crushed it. So grateful <laughs> to you. have you on. Thank you so much for sharing this. I, I have one last question for you though, because lots of people have been wondering, is land flipping the thing for them, right? And there's lots of steps within the land flipping learning education process. Would you talk about all those steps that you did as far as the education part and if there was any that were more valuable than others, because I, I just want, again, you know, we, one of our greatest friends is Mark Podolsky and, and, and their team. But obviously, th- that's, they're, they're kind of passionate and uh, about their own thing. But I love hearing from other people who've gone through the process that can help someone else on the sideline understand what is super important for them to take action on. Sure. So to start, so what I did, uh, like I like I mentioned, I mailed some uh, some offers before I bought anything. Then I bought the toolkit shortly after. Uh, a couple months later, I did flight school. All all of this with the Land Geek. I did the flight school. That was I think about six months, maybe give or take. Um, then for six months after that, I did my own thing. Um, I felt like those gave me the tools to kind of get started. I was interested in coaching, but I felt like I wouldn't necessarily get the most out of it because I wasn't super advanced at the time. So I did my own thing for six months. And then after that, then I did the year-long coaching with uh, with the Lane Geeks. And I think each thing was as valuable, uh, just in different stages of the process. I think if I started with coaching, I might not necessarily, like I suspected, have gotten the most out of it. You can ask very advanced questions there. You have all of the coaches, you know, all of their knowledge. You could also ask basic questions and get just as much out of it. But I think um, I really got the most because I, I was advanced at that point. Um, but the, to me, the coaching, I say this to Mark too, I was like, it's invaluable. Um, anytime you have a question, they're there. Just write it at the time when I did it was base camp. I'm sure they have some other tool now, but you just write your question there. You have the calls, they hold you accountable. Uh, but that was kind of a step that I do. And then after coaching, um, I did uh, boardroom with the Land Geeks, and that was a couple more months. And that's kind of like other people who have gone through the program, and you kind of have your own group and, and basically run it yourself. Uh, but after that, I've just been doing my own thing. Um, and I think another thing that helped that's not necessarily a paid program is just starting your own masterminds with uh, people. So a couple people have reached out and we just, you know, jump on Zoom calls and talk and brainstorm. And those have, and invaluable as well and the relationships are really helpful um too and you know you give ideas you just brainstorm and the more you talk about it you know ideas might come to you you might hear other people's ideas so i think that's really helpful oh so russ i what i heard michaela say by the way michaela thank you again for being willing to come on michaela had a goal she built a plan around it and then she had to have the support it sounds just like what we talked about here on Wealth Without Wall Street, the GPS system to get you to financial freedom. You heard it from Michaela. It's time to take action, tribe. Um, get going on your own journey to financial freedom. If you don't know where to start, you can start with us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and, uh, and take that very first step of getting your goal so you can end up just like what Michaela's doing here. Thanks again, Michaela. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset. 
and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.